Hello, and welcome back to the Urology Care Podcast. I'm going to let my guest go ahead and introduce himself now. Casey, thank you so much for having me. My name is Jay Aswara. I'm a urologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. I have a research interest in patients with neurogenic bladder, as well as urological trauma and reconstruction. We have a consortium called the Neurogenic Bladder Research Group, where we perform studies determining the best ways to care for patients with neurological dysfunction. You can check out our website at nbrg.org. I want to just start this conversation off and ask, in the simplest terms for someone who, had, who doesn't have a medical background, such as myself, what is neurogenic bladder? It's a great question. Neurogenic bladder is bladder dysfunction secondary to a neurological cause, so either a disease of the brain, the spinal cord, or the peripheral nerves. I'm assuming this affects the urinary system? It can. So if this uh, affects the spinal cord or certain parts of the brain or any of the pelvic nerves, uh, that can certainly affect bladder function. We see this a lot in patients who have diabetes, patients who have strokes, patients who have had pelvic surgery where some of the peripheral nerves can get damaged. Uh, so it's, this is unfortunately not an uncommon scenario. Okay. So what would cause this scenario? Well, there are a whole bunch of causes for neurogenic bladder. So any condition that uh, affects the bladder or the bladder outlet uh, can cause neurogenic bladder. Diseases that affect the brain or the spinal cord or the peripheral nerves, such as a stroke, spinal cord injury, spina bifida, uh, you know, surgery can do it, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease. There are a whole bunch of causes, transverse myelitis certain vitamin deficiencies, all these can lead to a neurogenic bladder. Okay. So you outlined a lot of reasons there, but what are some of the symptoms? How would you know if you have a neurogenic bladder? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. So patients with neurogenic bladder can either have an overactive bladder or an underactive bladder. And some patients actually have some mix of the two, uh, either some combination of overactive and underactive bladder. Patients with overactive bladder often feel a sense of urgency, like they have to rush to the bathroom uh, and urinate frequently. Patients who have an underactive bladder, however, usually have a hard time emptying their bladder completely. Uh, a lot of these patients may not feel like their bladder is full, and so they, they kind of lack the normal sensation and the, the trigger to urinate. Uh, patients in both groups can also experience leaking, and that's, that's also one of the main problems that patients with neurogenic bladder have. So how's it diagnosed? Well, the diagnosis usually starts with clinical suspicion. So if patients develop urinary symptoms and have an underlying neurological diagnosis, then that sort of tips off the, uh, the physician. We often use office tests such as a bladder ultrasound or urodynamic testing, and sometimes blood tests can be helpful, uh, or imaging tests such as a renal bladder ultrasound or a CT. I want to get into the treatment of neurogenic bladder. In what kind of ways is it treated? It's a great question. You know, we're, we're lucky because we do have a lot of potential treatment options for patients who do have neurogenic bladder. And, and as you kind of mentioned, it really does depend on what the underlying symptoms are. So for patients who have an overactive bladder, we typically start with pills, uh, anticholinergics such as oxybutynin or trospium or beta-3 agonists such as mirabegron. If those don't work, then I'll often try botulinum toxin or sacral nerve stimulation to try to help patients uh, suppress those overactive bladder contractions. For patients who have underactive bladder, we often recommend self-catheterization, uh, but sometimes we can also use an indwelling catheter or a suprapubic tube 
uh, if self-catheterization is not an option. Uh, for certain patients who are good candidates, we can make a catheterizable channel or try neurostimulation to try to coax the bladder to squeezing more effectively. I want to ask, what is the most common reason that you see that someone would have neurogenic bladder? It's it's really interesting. You know, it really kind of depends on the practice you have. In my in my practice, I see a lot of patients who have underlying diabetes, and uh, and that's the most common cause of of neuro neurogenic bladder that I see. But you know, depending on where you are, you might be spinal cord injury. You know, you might see uh, multiple sclerosis or other systemic neurological conditions as well. But the most common causes are, are diabetes and, and spinal cord injuries or or, or defects. Is there a spectrum of it, or is it is it just black and white? What's how's that work? Yeah, it's a great question, actually. So uh, it, it is a spectrum, and some patients have less severe symptoms, and some patients have really debilitating symptoms that uh, significantly impact their quality of life, and that's what that's what makes the disease so tricky. Okay, got it. So I'm not sure if there's an answer to this one, but I'll ask it anyways. Is there any way to prevent this neurogenic bladder? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, so. There's no way to directly prevent neurogenic bladder, but but you can sort of prevent the underlying diseases that cause the neurogenic bladder. So, for instance, patients who have diabetes can make sure that their diabetes and blood sugars are well controlled to prevent bladder dysfunction. So that's certainly one, one way of doing it. And, and the same is kind of true for your overall health and your cardiovascular health. I usually tell people that if they lead a heart-healthy lifestyle, they'll, they'll have a what does that mean? What is this heart healthy lifestyle? Yeah, so a diet that's a diet that's sort of rich in fruits and vegetables, uh, and has uh, appropriate vitamins and minerals, and minimizing alcohol consumption and tobacco use. Got you know, it. those are all things that can certainly help any organ. And uh, you know, your bladder is a, is a muscle, the same way that your heart is, and so okay. the same things that affect your heart function also affect your bladder function as well. Well, that well, that would make sense. So I didn't mean to cut you off there, but if you wanted to finish your thought on prevention of neurogenic bladder. Yeah, no, it's just to say that you can't directly prevent it, but what you can do is try to treat the underlying conditions that cause neurogenic bladder. So things like diabetes, things like hypertension and peripheral vascular disease, all those things that we can control, like controlling our diet, exercising more, leading a healthy uh, lifestyle, those will all help our our bladder function in the long run. Okay. Yeah. So my last question was just going to be about lifestyle. And I think you kind of nailed it when you talk about the the heart healthy lifestyle being conducive to a bladder healthy lifestyle. Yeah. You know, so neurogenic bladder can be really debilitating. And like I said, it, it can really severely impact people's quality of life. So it's important that people with neurogenic bladder have close follow-up with their urologist because, like I said, I mean, there are a whole bunch of treatment options available. And so uh, it's important that the process be collaborative with their urologist. And so finding the best fit for you and your lifestyle is really of utmost importance. So it's important for, for people to know that having neurogenic bladder doesn't mean you have to give up things you love doing. I have a lot of patients who still golf and play tennis and swim and they garden and they enjoy their lives. And so, you know, when you're kind of given this diagnosis of neurogenic bladder, it can often feel like uh, it's sort of a devastating thing to hear. But the truth is that you can still lead a, a fun and exciting life so uh, and one that's very full. And I just, I'll ask before we wrap up here today, if you have any other final thoughts you want to, you want to tell us about on, on this condition. Yeah. You know, Casey, it's, it's really important for people who suffer from neurogenic bladder to know that they're not alone. 
and that there are treatments available. And, and I, I do think it's important that they have close relationships with their, their urologist as well as a neurologist if that's applicable. And so, you know, being plugged in and getting plugged in early can really help stave off some of the untoward complications that can develop later. That's fair. That's very fair. And I'll just have you one last time give us your name and, and um, where, where folks can, can learn more about you or where you practice. Yeah, my name is Jay Aswara. I'm at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And uh, thank you very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Sure. And you're a part of our Bladder Health Committee here at the Urology Care Foundation. So I want to thank you for that, for that service. Thank you very much. And I'd also encourage your listeners to, to check out our website. It's N as in Nancy, org. So Neurogenic Bladder Research Group. We have a lot of exciting trials. There are a lot of dedicated people around the country who have a sincere interest in this disease and we're making real progress so uh, so thank you for having me it's been a pleasure thanks for coming on today thanks this podcast has been brought to you by the urology care foundation the official foundation of the american urological association for more information on today's topic and for all things urology health visit urologyhealth.org